Welcome to the Speaking Podcast. You can find all our episodes on speakingpodcast.com. We also have the Awakening Podcast, the Meditation Podcast, and the Learn Polish Podcast, and all can be found on roycollin.com. Today, my guest is Sarah Flashing. Please welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. You're welcome. So you might tell the audience, who's Sarah? So Sarah Flashing is a former academic from the United States. I'm in Freeport, Illinois. Um, we're about two hours outside of Chicago. And um, I have trained for many years in academic philosophy and ethics. And I have transitioned in my career into the field of marketing and communications. And today I do everything from web development to corporate speaking. Um, I educate students at all levels, and I'm pretty busy. Hmm, that's always a good complaint. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, I mean, it's mainly about the speaking. Uh, I see that, like you're doing the coaching. So we might just start on the coaching side first. What type of coaching are you involved in? I'm primarily doing um, mentoring and marketing coaching. I work with a number of clients who pretty good at what they do. They just need that extra help to understand how do Facebook ads work? How do I write a press release? So I spend time on the phone or on Zoom and I help my clients who are capable of doing these things to figure out the details. Um, you know, some of them are in um, industries that typically they don't navigate the world of marketing and um, they know how to communicate. They're effective. They know how to how to manage their website. They just don't know the details. How do I write a press release? Where do I send it? Why does anybody care? So that's the kind of things that I help with in coaching. And like when you're doing that, because I know I'm a big fan of uh, like say Ted Nichols and the wording and the copywriting. So I presume you're bringing your experience to that so that the wording attracts more uh, audience for the for your clients yeah um for instance writing in the first person versus the third person a lot of people aren't accustomed to writing a quote for themselves as if they're being interviewed and i that's the trick to understanding press releases is you're doing the work for the reporter and reporters absolutely love having their work done for them so if you can write a great press release, it's effective, it's newsworthy, you know, it might have a bit of, um, of social interest. Um, a reporter will pick up a well-written press release and do something with it. So, so it's about training people how to write them in an interesting way, not just, you know, detailing the facts. Because any story that's worth reading is more than, than a bunch of bullet points. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And do you do split testing just to see which one can pull a bit more? Do you try? To I, I've done that for a while, but I've been writing a number of years in in both academic and more casual blogging circles. That um, you know, you get a feel for your audience after a while, and uh, you you know who you're writing for, and that's the thing you have to understand your audience. And the A/B testing is great if you don't understand your audience. Um, you're writing for a local newspaper, you know who's reading that newspaper based on um, demographics. Um, I mean, who's reading newspapers these days in print anyway. Um, and, you know, local digital can work, but so, yeah, you got to know your audience. Yeah, no, very good, very good. And 
your your speaking experience because uh, I see that like you speak in front of classrooms to seminars and different things. You may let's start off in the classroom. What kind of what does that entail? So I've been teaching speaking in the classroom for a number of years, actually for 10, 15 years, various topics. And the classroom environment is very exciting to me because I love the interactive framework. I love um, the chance to talk to students, no matter the topic, um, and take questions and engage because that's um, when a teacher can have the most impact. I do consider myself a teacher speaker. Um, so I've been doing that in everything from, from teaching ethics in the classroom to teaching marketing and um, corporate social responsibility. And people want to understand what they're hearing. And, you know, the TED Talks are great. And, and they're great because they're not that long. But when you get, you know, an hour scheduled to speak somewhere or two hours, which is frequently the case, you have to find different ways of connecting with your listeners. And so I really greatly enjoy the interactive approach. And with the students, what, what ages are the students that you typically be teaching? I, I have taught anyone from, from 16, 17 years old up to their mid-60s, maybe, maybe early 70s. And the best experiences have been those where I, I open up engagement from the very beginning. Please feel free to ask a question if I say something that you don't understand or you want to know more about. And those are my most successful speaking environments. Well, I think if you can keep 17-year-olds uh, engaged, it's a, it's a hard job. But if you can do that, that's a, that's a well, test. Exactly. And, and it's not just about the words. It's about the eye contact. and. Um, being an, an inviting speaker, anyone can monologue, anyone can memorize a speech and stand in front of a crowd. But if you can connect with them, um, there are there are topics I've spoken on where I've I've um, inspired emotion and have caused people to cry. You know, not because I said anything mean, but it was just inspiring stuff. And um, but I can do that with humor and with eye contact and. Um, with anecdotes that matter. Um, like I said, anybody can memorize a speech, but not everybody can make those connections with people. And I love to make those connections. No, that's a skill set in itself to be able to do that, that you're connecting with the audience and they'll remember. Yeah, yeah. And it's taken years, but it's, and it's so fulfilling. So when you are doing, say, the classroom, because I know some people, you know, they they kind of aspire to get into that, uh, you know, category. Like, how do you, if it's an hour, like, what way do you prepare? Do you plan it beforehand or do you just come in and go, I'm going to talk about this? How do you structure, say, if it's an hour that you have the classroom? How do you structure yourself? Oh, goodness, it varies. I don't have a, a specific approach to that. I know the content I want to deliver. And I know in the course of an hour, for instance, you know, I'm going to lose 10 to 15 minutes right off the bat with introductions and closing and an opportunity for questions. So, um, you know, I break it down into maybe thirds and, and, I, and I have bullet points. And, and I usually provide, you know, handout materials so that people have more information than what I actually cover. Um, because if someone's taking the time to come hear me, I think they deserve as much content as they can get. And sometimes you can't control the questions in a room. And so 
so when I go, I'm prepared. I, I, I have handouts. I, I have PowerPoints sometimes. I, I don't always depend on those because they can be a distraction. Yeah. Um, but content is king. And if somebody comes to hear me speak and I get distracted by, by six or eight questions that take up some time, I still want that content available. And that keeps them coming back. Okay, very good. And say in business environment, then like seminars and stuff, what kind of, because you've done some of that as well, yeah, you do some of the work that you do. So you might tell us about some of that that you've done. Oh, wow. Um, so I work with a lot of entrepreneurs, people in business, and um, provide a, a, a range of things that they need to hear about. Right now, the coronavirus situation has has made the topic of pivoting in business very important. People want to know what they can do. And it's kind of exciting. And in our area, we see a lot of businesses that are doing the main thing and they're doing the side hustle. They're they're not depending on their main thing to to get them through. In fact, restaurants, um, bars in um, those type of establishments have have determined that they've discovered rather that um, through the coronavirus epidemic, they've done better in their pivot toward being a delivery food restaurant rather than sticking just with, you know, the alcohol, which is usually um, a higher um, revenue generating product. And um, so there's a lot of surprise. So I spent a lot of time talking to businesses about how to, how to pivot, how to make those changes, whether it's, you know, doing something different or adding the side hustle and um, finding new ways to, to meet their financial goals. Because right now, you know, everybody has their dreams and their passions and what they want to do, but they have to make the appropriate decisions just to get through this right now. And then, um, you know, once, once um, you know, jobs come back, once people are spending the way they used to again, um, then there's a little more um, flexibility to do what you want to do rather than what you need to do. But I think that the businesses, and I've heard this in many conversations, the businesses that made these pivots that, that I teach about, um, many of them will just keep those because they've worked well and they continue to work well. And business isn't the same now as it was in early 2020. Everything's changed. Yeah. And those are the kind of things that we discussed. Okay, very good. And I see as well that uh, you're a panelist at times. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a while since I've been a panelist, but I, I do take on those opportunities when they present themselves. They're, they're usually very um, interesting to the listener because you get multiple perspectives on, on a topic. Um, and maybe not even different perspectives, but different angles. Um, when you're a panelist, you get to bring your experience to the table, and your experience will be different than someone else on a panel. And um, I've been on panels where, after a while, you realize you're engaging with other panelists, and the audience gets to benefit from that, too. And, like... Because um, I've seen a few, not that many, but is it that you would approach them to try to be on different panels? Is there like a network or is it that people would reach out to you to be a panelist? Yeah, my, my experience in all of my public speaking, whether being on panels or, or being a, a solo speaker, is people have gotten to know my reputation. Anyone aspiring to a speaking career has got to build their reputation. You can ask to be on something, but unless they know you, you're not going to get on anyway. You need to be developing who you are, whether it's through um, 
you know, you're writing, for instance. If, if you're a good writer, you're, you're very often a decent speaker. Nobody's a perfect speaker. Um, but there are some great speakers who aren't great writers. So, but if you can write and you can get your ideas out there, people, people get an interest in what you have to say. And that's a lot of where my beginnings came from when I, when I began writing. Um, because if you can present yourself as someone who can articulate a clear idea, um, clear reasoning, you're someone that people want to engage. You have to be engageable. Um, you can't just, you know, put yourself out there as a speaker with no experience and expect to get the keynotes to be placed on the panel. Um, people have to know you. And so and we're in such a great place in the technology world today that anybody can put up YouTube videos um, and, and display your, your gifts and abilities that way. Um, if, if someone wants to get started in the speaking arena, just put yourself out there, make yourself visible. Um, and I would recommend going beyond Facebook. There's not a lot of people in, in business, heavy hitters, that are spending very many hours on Facebook. Be more LinkedIn would be probably better. Uh, yeah. About, yeah, caliber. LinkedIn and, and doing videos and utilizing YouTube. YouTube is a great space. Um, if you can get video channels on YouTube, you can embed the videos on your own website. Um, and that's really where, where people who are looking for speakers want to see your stuff. Um, have it embedded in professional speaker sites. Have it embedded on your own site. But don't upload video to your own site because it will just screw up your 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 visitor speed and your bandwidth will be a mess. Mm -hmm. um, but YouTube is just a great YouTube and um, Vimeo. Um, utilize those tools. Okay. And with the panelists, is that something that people do voluntary or you actually get paid for it? I know you would probably get, uh, you know, clients from it. If you're speaking on stage and someone is impressed, they'd probably approach it either for coaching or for speaking. But do they t uh, usually, are they paid gigs or they, that you just volunteer? Your it, really, it really varies on, on what the event is. Um, I have been paid as a keynote. I, um, I don't think I've ever been paid as a panelist, but, um, but those are great opportunities because as soon as you're a panelist, you become an optional keynote for somebody else. And yes, the exposure, the exposure is everything. And I would never walk away from a keynote um, a panelist opportunity. I'm sure they pay for some of the, the larger corporate and even things smaller than TED Talk in that level. But, um, you know, until you're, you're up, you know, in the ranks of making, you know, 10,000 uh, keynote, you're probably not going to be getting paid for panel sessions. Um, sometimes they are um, collaborative where you're invited to do a keynote and um, they ask you to also be on a panel. And so in essence, yes, they, you can be compensated for those. But, you know, sometimes you're invited to be part of a panel and you're not a main speaker. But the better conferences tend to utilize all of their speakers and, and create some, some panel sessions. And so in that respect, yes, you can be paid for those. But you got you got to get, get up into the realm of being solo speaker. Mm -hmm. And I suppose the other advantage is networking with the other speakers as well, because I you know you can open doors for each other and, you know, connect at that level. Well, that and um, really becoming an authority. And that's some of what I teach about in my coaching and networking. Becoming an authority in your sphere, um, people are afraid of the word authority these days. And 
what I mean by it is, is thought leadership, market leadership. If, if you're in business and you're selling a product, are, are you the expert? Um, are you the authority on that? And if you can be, I, become identified as the thought leader on a subject, no matter what it is, people who care about that subject are going to find you. Um, you need to become an authority. It's part of your brand. And that's really the primary way to, to etch up the ladder in, in public speaking is being known for something, being an authority on something. And if, if you can't do that, then you're going to struggle. And like say with the keynote, um, like one, what's the typical duration? Because there's some people as well, they're doing it. They might be doing it very well. There's others, they aspire to do keynotes. So how long does it normally last? And uh, how can they go about it? And what, how do you prepare as well? Because everybody's got their own little you know, way of structuring their day for when they're doing a keynote. Oh, wow. Depends on the topic. Um, it, you know, I've done keynotes that, that run an hour, hour 15. Um, typically, uh, by the time a group gets to a keynote, they're, they're pretty exhausted. <laughs> which is why they have to be really engaging and make people laugh or cry or something. You have to be able to, to get at them, get to their emotions. You have to con- make those connections. Typically an hour and, you know, you need to know your content in and out because if you're, you know, reading off a teleprompter um, or a piece of paper, you're going to lose them. That's, that's really my biggest recommendation is, is know yourself. Be able to get your face out of your paper, out of your notes. Have bullet points. If you need, if you need bullet points, sometimes using PowerPoint is really great for that because it's right there. And um, you know what's coming next. And so if you, can't, if you can't memorize, if you don't know what you're talking about entirely, if you, you need that, those help, bullet points are helpful. They keep you on track. Um, but know yourself because, you know, typically people are paying for a keynote. They're paying for someone who knows what they're speaking about. They're not paying for someone who needs to read off of their notes frequently. Um, if you're that person, you're not going to get many keynotes for some time. Become that expert. Know what you're talking about. Um, you'll get a reputation for that and you'll be able to get those keynote opportunities. And I mean, obviously you, you speak on a topic that you know about, but like how, how much preparation would you do for a keynote if it was a you know, kind of high-end client? Oh, goodness. Um, any clients. I'm going to spend, um, you know, from the day it's requested, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, well, first of all, nobody's going to ask me to talk about something I don't know. Um, I know something about it, but from, from the day, you know, a request comes in, I'm going to start thinking about who's my audience, where is this taking place, what kind of room is it in, um, and I'll prepare for the physical surroundings that way. You know, you're typically going to have at least a month to prepare for a keynote, unless, you know, there's a speaker cancellation and, and there's, you know, a sense of desperation for, I've got to find somebody to take this gig. Um, typically, you're going to have the time. I, I would say you want to spend um, an hour or two a week if you're um, really unfamiliar with your content in preparing for something a month away. Um, if you're familiar with your content, you just constantly need to be thinking about it and preparing for it um, because there's the, the um, emotional aspect 
of it, the psychological, you know, I'm getting in front of a crowd. When was the last time I was in front of a crowd? Just remembering um, that you're going to be in a room of anywhere from 50 to 500 faces, probably. Um, how are you going to interact with them from, from the podium? Um, so it's not just preparing your content, it's, it's pre preparing yourself psychologically, preparing yourself for a light room or a dark room. Can you see their faces or not? Um, if you're just getting started, you might be dealing with um, becoming nervous. Um, and if that's the case, practice. Put yourself in front of a camera and start doing it um, at your desk. Gather a group of friends and, and practice that way. Everyone starts somewhere. That's the neat thing about public speaking. Anybody can do it. You just have to want it. Um, and you have to practice and get good at it. Uh, what about uh, workshops? Because I know you've uh, I, on your website about facilitating. Do you organize uh, workshops yourself as well, or are you just a facilitator? For yeah, right now, all of the workshops that I'm doing, I, I organize myself. Um, I have people signing up to, to do um, coaching workshops, group coaching um, seminars. I prepare all of that right now. Um, again, I, I work in marketing communications primarily, um, but I've spoken across the board in my in my career on everything from from ethics and theology to marketing and communication so in terms of workshops right now primarily focused on marketing it really helps if if you want to do workshops to know how to either utilize products like zoom if you need to do them online or be in relationships with area communities where you can um, for instance I, I do free workshops um, kind of part of filling the funnel um, you want to um, make your information available to people so that if you have another product that you might be selling, that they'll take an interest. You always want to be in front of as many people as you can all the time, which is why business networking events are so beneficial to go to. Um, workshops are another way of creating networking opportunities, and not just for yourself, but for the people who attend. So they become valuable for everyone. And so, yes, I prepare those on my own. I schedule them. Um, I set up any of the web content. Um, being a web developer really helps when you're in this industry. You don't have to wait for a developer to come back and say, okay, I set this page up. Oh, you did that wrong. I wanted it this way. You can do it yourself. You're saving yourself so much time and energy. Plus, it's kind of fun. <laughs> The different workshops, are they kind of like one hour, two hours? That's typically the duration of the workshops? Oh, good. They, they range. They range. Um, I do everything from one hour to two hour events. Um, two hours is pretty exhausting, but I do do them both. Um, sometimes they're more overviewish, depending on the topic. Um, goal setting, for instance, is one that you could talk about for three hours or three days. It depends on how, how much detail you want to get to. Right now, I'm, I'm about to begin a set of workshops where We'll be doing one meeting where we talk specifically about goal setting, and it'll it'll be a one-hour event, and but it'll come with some great tools, some writing tools, and some tips, and and I'm always available. That's the neat thing about workshops and and networking and growing your business, making yourself available. You know, being willing to answer questions on the side. Um, you, you're not giving away anything when you help someone. You're you're making yourself more desirable to them. And that's the key with doing workshops is, is just letting people know you're there and being willing to help um, because that's, I mean, that's the world we live in. We have to be willing to help each other. 
if you expect to be paid for everything you know, nobody's going to ever buy. And with the different things you're doing, what things have gone wrong and how have you overcome them? <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, and typically, the worst things that have gone wrong have been the microphone's not working. That's not my fault. Uh, <laughs> it's been the events that I've been invited to where, um, um, you know, technology fails. Um, oh, the, the PowerPoint screen isn't working. And when your projector stops working, that's when you realize you need to be fully prepared. If you're depending on that projector, then that's a problem. Um, if you go in and you know your stuff and you can just throw your arms up and say, okay, we got this. We don't need that. And you actually talk with your audience. You don't talk at them. You talk to them. It becomes a conversation. You can really, you know, turn lemons into lemonade when, when you have a technology fail because people really don't care. They, they, they want to hear from the speaker. They want to, they want, they want to be in a conversation and can become a little more intimate when technology fails. It can be, can be a good thing. And say when the microphone fails, do they, what, what, what's the typical thing that they overcome? Do they get you to try to project your voice? Obviously it depends on the size of the room. Oh, it de definitely depends on the size of the room, but that's when you, you walk away from the podium and you walk to the front row and you start meandering. That's when you, you find yourself, um, say you're in an in a auditorium with three sections and you start pacing and talking right in front of them. You get away from the podium and, and you project as much as you can and, and maybe you walk the aisles a little bit. I've done that. It, it can work. You, you make the best of it. And you know anyone attending one of those events knows, oh, it's not her fault. And, but you get down there and, and you, you invite people to connect with you when you're done. If you couldn't hear anything I said, you know, drop me an email. Um, let's talk out in the hallway when we're done. You know, just I would love to reconnect with you. You, just, you make the best of it. It's, it's not terribly difficult. But again, if you're just getting started in, in a speaking career, that can throw you off. You just have to remember that those people sitting there listening are just like you. They, um, they're there to gather information and you're the information giver. Give them what you can and connect with them at a human level. Because they, they're, they haven't put you on a pedestal, they put you behind a podium. And the podium fails, you just walk away from it and join them. Very nice, I like that. Uh, the other thing that people are always asking is like they're looking to get paid and like, should they start off doing as much stuff free as possible and then just slowly doing it? Or should they get an agent, hire an agent that takes, I don't even know what percentage, is it 10, 20, is it even 50%? You might share your knowledge on that one. Um, first of all, if you're just getting started, you take the free events. If you can, if you can get to them, do them. It's going to give you more experience. You'll be able to fill up your 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 resume of experience. People want to know that you've been a speaker before they're going to hire you as a speaker. Um, including the the speaker bureau type websites. Um, whether you hire an agent or be on a website where where you can be seen. I'm personally not on a speaker's bureau anywhere. Um, and I still do get invitations to paid events, but that's because I'm a known commodity. But if if you want, you can do the speaker bureau websites, and you're and they typically function as agents, and I, I believe they take percentages. Um, they may also just take subscription fees to be on the site. 
but if you're just getting started, you'll get paid anywhere from, from free to your travel expenses um, and meals to, um, you know, maybe a couple hundred dollars. But, you know, it all comes back to being an authority on what you're talking about. If, if you're the expert, if you really know your stuff, um, companies are going to pay you um, conferences and, and seminars and um, local community groups, um, everybody, they'll, they'll, they'll be willing to pay you if you know your stuff and if they have a budget for it, obviously. But, you know, don't, don't charge yourself out of your market either. Don't, don't demand to be paid $5,000 to speak when um, that might be that company's entire marketing budget that whole year. Um, be flexible. Um, and have a range and, and know that you're building a business really when you start a, a speaking career or, or at least an aspect of your business and, you know, be flexible and get yourself out there and do the free ones when you can, because it just exposes you to more people. And when, like say, when you're doing the different events, do you have a, a bunch of business cards for when people come up to you afterwards or do you, how do you connect? Like, cause some people, they don't like that, but I think that's probably the way that when you're doing the, whether it's the free event, cause people are inspired and they're coming up to you. So is it a business card that you just hand people? What's your kind of strategy? Uh, yeah. You always have your business cards available. Um, depending on what you're speaking about, you have your, your handouts available. You make them available. You bring them yourself. If, if, um, if you can handle the cost of printing, whether it's for 50, 500 or 5,000 people, just bring it. Um, you can't always depend on your host to do that. Then you have your contact information on any handouts, obviously your business card. Um, if, if you can have your, your, your face and your contact information put on a projector, um, people will write that down if they're interested. Or these days, they'll take a picture of it with their cell phone. They'll be like, I, I can get that. So there's a lot of ways to do that. Um, if you have a website, you know, in appropriate ways, mention your website throughout your talk. Um, beginning and end is the most um, casual and comfortable place to do that. But just remind people, if you have other um, information you're looking for, just visit my website at sarahplashing.com and, you know, there's more there for you. So, you know, see how I just slipped that in there. Uh, <laughs> no, I do that. I do the same. Or sometimes I'm doing interviews, especially in Pakistan, because they don't tend to, like I always ask people, how can they contact you? And I'll do the same with yourself now in a few minutes, but they yes. don't do that in Pakistan. So I just put after my name brackets on my website. And, you know, it's just because, you know, if you're doing, you know, like if you're giving your time, it's, you know, it's only right that uh, people that are interested, they'll be able to find you and contact you. So speaking Absolutely. of that, how can people get in contact with you, Sarah? <laughs> they can find me at sarahflashing.com. <laughs> and, um, and, and that's something really important that, that um, speakers or anyone in business should remember. Make your website, your, your domain, easy to say and easy to spell. Um, don't add a bunch of letters and X's and things that are difficult to, to enunciate when you're speaking because people will be misspelling it when they're writing it down. They, they will not hear it correctly. Make it as simple and clear as possible. It's, it still baffles me when people have emails with hyphens and it's like, yes. I, don't, I don't understand why people do that because yeah. as you say, make it simple. Like I'm yes. lucky I got my name as well. I got RoyCollin.com and like you've got your own and that's the, the easiest one because people will remember your name. That's right. That's right. As soon as you start adding other words to it or, or trendy phrases or your tagline or something, um, you get into trouble. This is 
about building your brand and your brand is built around your name and people are going to know you by name and they're going to know you you for what you know but they're going to get to you because of your name so don't mess that up no, perfect listen you've given some great tips really appreciate your time and i put you. not only will people remember that it's airflashing.com but i'll actually put it under the podcast description so they'll have the, the link excellent thank you so thank you very much thank you so much for having me so that's all for the speaking podcast. Uh, you'll find all our episodes on speakingpodcast.com. You'll also find the meditation podcast, learn Polish podcast, and the awakening podcast on roycolin.com. Be sure to share with your friends. Until next week, take care.